So this is the A Plane podcast. Today we have Tim Roberry joining us. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a bio about yourself, Tim? Uh, I guess the the shortest way of saying it is I'm a, a pro track and field coach slash marathon. Um, I work with Nike athletes, and uh, that's you know the briefest I could possibly say. The gist so. of it. You're a pretty accomplished track athlete yourself, though, right? That's um, kind of where you started in the sport. Yeah, definitely. I definitely started um, off pretty well. Um, I, I was one of those athletes that was like injured at least once a year, uh. if not more. Um, so I had some, I had some okay performances. But um, the best thing about being a coach is you can be so critical of all the stuff you did in the past that you're like, wish you could go back and and be like, oh, I could have been better, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> everyone. But... Something. Um, was there like an injury or something that took you out or? When did you say, okay, I'm I'm done running, I'm gonna start coaching type of thing? Um, so the last race I ran was back in 2015, I think. Okay. And I I was a 800, 400 runner mostly. And so I pulled, I, my hamstring had problems and it kept coming back and training. Mm. And I feel like that's like, that's like what happens to most 800 meter athletes. Mm. It's always a hamstring thing that like, eventually gets too much and doesn't go away so that was just like the end of it wasn't your 800 time i think i saw online like 148 or something yeah yeah which is a great time you work with like insane athletes but 148 for an 800 like blows my mind it's really cool yeah it, I, after working with athletes i've worked with it it feels like something <laughs> they could run on a workout or something in some like, crazy day but but yeah i, I yeah Definitely an 800 meter runner, so. That's cool. And now you're coaching, like you said, a ton of Nike athletes, one of them being Safan Hassan, who's mostly like longer distance stuff now. I think her shortest event that she's running this year, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 1500? Yeah, she. I mean, she ran a 800, I think two years ago. Oh, okay. Um, So yeah, we try to keep, you know, as balanced on everything as possible. Um, yeah. So yeah, she runs everything. So. Mm. So how is that training for events as short as like a 1500 meter all the way up to a marathon? How do you balance all of that? <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, when I first started working with her, um, she was definitely, that was when she was doing her best in the mile. Um, I was a middle distance runner myself. So I definitely had some bias towards training things that were pointing toward, towards that. Um, and then <clears throat> she kind of, at the time when I first met her, she never thought in her life that she would run even a 10K. And like, even just imagining it, she like, you know, even a 5K was still a little bit, you know, far for her. She didn't really have that much experience with it. And so it was kind of just a process over a long time where we just did one thing at a time and like, wow, that really worked. And then Oh wow! I, I want to try this race again, and then next thing you know, she—I don't know—maybe she'll run ultra marathons or some crazy trail <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, I remember seeing an interview of her before the London Marathon, and she said she thought she would maybe drop around twenty-five kilometers, and that she would in no way like keep up with the lead pack. And then there was an interview with you too, where you're like. I don't even know what's going to happen. <laughs> like, I don't know if she'll keep up. And then she won, which is insane. How did that feel? Give me the whole spiel on that. 
Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I always try to have a healthy amount of skepticism about like, you know, what this training means for this race. But this was a case where, I mean, I had worked with marathoners in the past, but I had never been the primary coach for marathoners. Okay. And even like half marathons and stuff, I was leaning on a lot of other coaching friends and um, that would that knew a lot more than me. And I was basically just, you know, doing a lot of the same stuff they were doing. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm even someone who'll Google things online and um, I'll, I'll look for whatever insight I can get. And then I try to mesh that into the stuff that already makes sense to me. Mm. Um, so with the, with the London Marathon, it was just, it was, uh, I didn't know whether training was going to be enough. And I didn't think it was possibly enough because we were we were in Ethiopia. Mm. That's where some of the best runners in the world are. Yeah. And we were watching their workouts and even like it was just blowing our mind because we had never done anything even close to the tempos and the the long intervals and like just typical marathon training you'd see um I mean, but at a really really high level. So yeah. anyways, just seeing that alone and then comparing it with what she was doing at the time, it was just like there's no way this this is enough. And so I actually think it created the perfect circumstances where she had no pressure on herself. She was mm. completely relaxed. I just remember uh, I was just so happy when I was watching her in the press conference and stuff. Mm. And I was laughing because she was just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> and and I was actually thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm so glad that she's not feeling pressure. Like for mm. me, it's actually also relieving that when she's not feeling so pressured about stuff. So She's free to just like do her best basically yeah see what see how it feels why did you guys even sign up for the marathon or what made you say like london marathon yeah i well i think sifon like like okay so we travel a lot yeah and the whole exploration part of uh you know the coach athlete dynamic we have is I, I mean, it tra it goes over to like the racing side too. I think the reason she's tried so many different events is because we're always really, how to say, it, almost like playful in training and uh, just trying to like, we'll, we get lost on the most terrible trails. Like we've been like wandering through swamps. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone on exploring runs, <laughs> but like we've done that way more than anyone could possibly imagine. So I think like we kind of keep, we keep things fun and then it was just one of those things where she's just like, she's tried so many new things that she's just like, what if I ran a marathon or how would that be? And next thing you know, she's like, I, I think I want to try a marathon. And we actually argued about it. We argued about it so much. What was the arguing point? Like it will slow you down in your other events or what were you worried about? What was she worried about? Well, I mean, the last couple of years, She's she's not always the number one, but she's always right there, like almost podium uh, in whatever she's focusing on every mm -hmm. time. And so it was one of those things where I just like she's so close in different things and like so close to being in shape to breaking world records that I didn't want to pull focus away from that because you never know if you're going to get the same opportunity again. Yeah. And maybe this one year in your life, you could break the world record in this one race. And you never know if the opportunity will come again. Like that, like I've even with myself, like I suddenly stopped running. Mm. And so I know that one moment, like it just might be where you can't get back into running again. So mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You don't want to like lose the opportunity for things that she's like at the precipice of almost. Yeah. 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 But the marathon turned out 
great. She's like second fastest woman ever now, right? After Chicago. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and that's and that was again another thing way beyond our expectations for what we would get to so far. I mm-hmm. I was hoping just to make some progress. After, her first race was great. Like mm-hmm. anyone would be happy with that time. Um and and then for her to to be able to drop that time later in the year is just way more than we expected. So so what did you change? What were things that you you looked at your programming? Was there anything that you changed specifically that led to the Chicago time that she put out there? Yeah, well, I actually would say that it was probably a lot more of going back to what made her good in the first place. Mm. Because for the London Marathon, the reason that we were so healthily skeptical and 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 just you know the way we were in our interviews for that is because we were doing things so differently that we had it was just like rolling the dice like we had no idea what what our training meant we had no idea what was going to happen mm. and so so then um so i came up with the idea of her trying to do a marathon after the world championships and track mm. and it was actually hard to get her to agree to doing that at first um, and she thought the Chicago marathon was even closer. Like it's already like a hard thing as is. Yeah. Cause you, most marathoners want, you know, I don't know how many months is typical, but it's usually like a, a matter of months mm-hmm. to get ready for any race. And so, yeah, we just went back to what was making her good. And, and she was, she was starting to climb back up there and track again. And then, um, then we just kind of, uh, plugged in like the long runs of marathon training back into that and it it worked and it was another experiment and there was no pressure again uh, maybe a little bit of pressure but mm. uh i mean there's still she was just curious because it was again going into a race not knowing if your training was right or if it was good enough and so that little question there um i think is something that every athlete performs better when they have mm. why do you think that is? Um, I, the brain is one of the most powerful tools that we have and for good or bad. And I don't think people realize how much it affects everything from racing to training to even just setting goals. And so like when people would, if, if there's runners that say, um, there's no way that athletes can get this fast, that they must be cheating, like that kind of stuff. Mm. Honestly, all I think is I'm like, that's just too bad for you. I mean, if you you don't believe you can do something, how are you ever going to do it? Yeah. And I I think people put these limits on themselves. And uh, I I really think that that's that's one of the most powerful things in in athletics and in everything for that matter. Yeah. What tools do you use with your athletes? Like what tools do you give them to overcome self-doubt? That's something Safan has been pretty vocal about on her Instagram page and in interviews is having maybe like a healthy amount of self-doubt. I don't know. But what tools do you give them to help them put that aside? Well, I, it? I don't know that. I mean, Sifan is a really special athlete. Uh, I mm. think, I mean, you have to have, like people always say, even if you have all the talent in the world, you still have to have the right mindset and a lot of other factors, you have to be lucky and not get injured, yeah. not get sick. Like there's, there's like, that's why running is such a crazy sport is because so many things can go wrong 
And so when everything goes right, that's it, that's why running is so special. And so for her, we listen to podcasts all the time. Mm. We we for a while, I was uh, asking her, "Oh, do you know about you know this is something simple, but like well, not simple, but complicated at the same time is mitochondria." Mm. And I was asking her, "Do you know about mitochondria? Do you know what that is?" And then next thing I know, we're listening to a podcast about what it is and. Um, and then I was just like going through uh, different topics that I thought would be helpful for her, um, even with like, what is the most, the best diet for running and all that mm. stuff. So we go, we listen to a ton of different stuff. She's always even looking at uh, different YouTube videos and she has her own favorite, you know, influencers on health and stuff that she listens to. Um, and a lot of those people, they talk about the psychological things. So mm. I, I don't think that I could take credit for building her up to such an amazing person. Mm. Um, but I, I definitely say it, it's partly education. Mm. And I'd say another part of it is probably, she's a very religious person. And um, I think if to be very religious, you also have to be able to accept um, everything, not, not knowing everything, but also you have very, very strong belief that in very specific things and um yeah i don't know if i there's I, almost like a humility aspect to like someone who is very religious and that like there is some belief in a higher power and respect for that higher power which in turn gives you like a a self-respect that probably really helps in athletic performance i think yeah yeah i yeah i hope you know what i mean but it, yeah you have to sacrifice a lot yeah exactly okay. like what you were saying like there's so much sacrifice that goes into uh yeah believing um and and sacrificing your time and all that stuff mm -hmm. that i think it gives you an inner strength and uh elliot kipchoge always talks about uh what's it called um discipline he always talks mm -hmm. about discipline and I, I think it's one of those those parts of it. It's it's if you're disciplined, that then even if things are uncomfortable or not going the right way, you are still hoping for some something better to happen. You know, it's it's uh yeah. There's always a reason for discipline. So mm. that's something cool about running too. Is that like a popular quote? I've heard like a million times is that like your character is revealed in your races and it's cool to watch athletes like Safan and Elliot like you not only respect them as athletes but you respect them for who they are and like who they've made themselves to be it's really cool yeah no ex exactly I'm I'm a fan myself of a lot of different runners that like it's not even their performance itself mm. it's what you see them go through and how they face it that mm. is just so inspiring and yeah, that's that's why athletics is just amazing. Yeah. Speaking of inspiring, we've talked a lot about Safan, but she had that in August. August was Worlds, right? In between yeah. the marathons. Um, she had that race where she fell and then took the lap back from everyone, basically. Um, how did that feel? What was that like watching her do that? And uh, I mean, I was I remember sitting in the crowd and uh are you talking about the one this year? Was it this year? She's fallen multiple, multiple times, <laughs> <Really>? unfortunately. <laughs> no, okay, so, like, oh. <laughs> cause she fell in the Tokyo Olympics. Okay. And, and then she also fell in the prelims of the 1500. And then she fell 
in this year at the very end of the 10K, right, like 10 meters before the line or something. I think I'm talking about prelims of the 1500. Yeah. When was that one? Yeah, that was Tokyo. Oh, that was Tokyo. Okay. Okay. But that was definitely a big moment in like when I already know Sifan's character because I'm around her all the time. Yeah. That was like a big moment where everyone else was able to see her character too. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the stands. As soon as she fell, I was just thinking, okay, just you can do this. Just be calm, be calm, be calm. Mm -hmm. I I wanted her to go really gradually. And that's exactly what she did. Mm -hmm. Like not only did she go to the front, but she did it confidently like like she did very very gradually um just kept calm and it was it was just an amazing moment yeah it was beautiful i could like see the determination in her face just like no hesitation it was yeah so inspiring very cool definitely speaks to her as an athlete um well going into olympics this year um what events are you allowed to say or um, it's not that I'm not allowed to say, it's mm. that, uh, so as you know, Sifan runs a million different races. Oh yeah. But part of that is I'm way more flexible as a coach than most people would approve of. Mm. And so I really try to follow how things are going naturally. Okay. Because sometimes people will set goals and then the goals stop making sense sometimes mm. and people still keep chasing the same goal when they could just pivot it a little bit and yeah. and be like, you know, this is actually, this is what will work out right now. Mm-hmm. This would be perfect. And and so that's kind of how we approach the Olympics too. Because she's become so versatile as an athlete, she can kind of have the luxury of seeing how her training goes. Mm. And, and that also allows her to not like destroy herself in training if, if you know, maybe her speed doesn't come back or maybe the, the all the miles in marathon are, are you know, maybe something happens where she's limited in miles or something. So, mm-hmm. so I, I honestly don't know. And before the Tokyo Olympics, even we didn't decide until we landed in Tokyo, what she was going to do. That's crazy. Does that make you anxious at all? Or is it just like, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, de- it definitely makes me anxious. But um, I mentioned earlier that we were arguing about the marathon and her yeah. doing it. And there was a certain point that she kept bringing it up and when something really means like when when she really cares about something that translates into training so much that i can't avoid it and so mm. once it's always up to her in the end and so once she decides she wants to do something then i try to support her and change things in training to to make that possible mm. that's very cool well i'm excited to see what ends up happening yeah <laughs> after you guys have how many months left do you have? Well, it's in it we travel there in July, so oh, that's okay. it's basically less than 7 months it's now crazy. or about yeah. 7 months ish before we actually start. So will all of your training be here? Are you traveling for that? Uh so I so Sifan is still doing like base training right now. Okay. And that's the only reason I'm still in the US at the moment. Mm. I usually go immediately after Christmas or I come home for Christmas and go back. Um, so I'm going to meet her in the Netherlands on the 20th of January. Cool. And then Ethiopia. And uh, then we'll come back to the U.S. And our base is in Park City, actually. Oh, cool. So in April, I plan to come back. And then we'll be here until the Olympics. Wow. That's the plan for now. Sounds fun. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I do want to talk about one of your shorter distance athletes, too, Alima. She runs the 800, right? Yeah. 
that's really cool because wasn't that like your favorite event? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, yeah, definitely. I have a bias for that. So yeah, what are some big goals that you have for her? What are goals she has? Well, uh, I guess I mean. Last year, our goals were, it was to break her national record and to make it to the finals of the world championships. Mm -hmm. um, she was the world champion in 2019. And um, I had known her from, I run into her, ran into her at races and I didn't really know her. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it, she's one of those people that like are excited to see you and genuinely like, you, you just like, you can tell they're so happy and so genuine mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that that's how I got to know her. But um, yeah, I I think that yeah. So, so she's got big things still coming for her. Yeah, I I mean we're still focused on the eight hundred for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I decided to start coaching her even knowing that the eight hundred women are starting to become really really competitive. Um. So I I guess our goal is still like I don't she just wants to make the Olympic final. I don't think she made it in the past. And so that's okay. a massive goal for her. Um, making the Olympic final is extremely hard. And the, the number of women who are at the same level is also really crazy. Like this last world championships, it was like, there was a whole round of women who should have, could have been in the final. Yeah. Um, but you know, everything, different things happen. Little tiny variables. And how many people, do you know how many people exactly? Um, like how many women are like, yeah. right. Well, I mean, I'd say anyone who can run 158 mm. has a chance of having a breakout race or just, you know, playing out their energy the right way and making a final. Um, you just have to get the, the endurance to do that in the final round Yeah. or over and over for that matter. But, um, so when you're going to like the Olympic finals, how many rounds are there then before that, before you get to the finals? Because when you say endurance to get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, for every event, it's different. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for the 800, let's see, prelims, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think you end up running it. Oh, I don't want to say wrong. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> At <well>. least three <laughs> rounds. At least three. <laughs> maybe four. No, but I, I yeah, I'm blanking That's it out. That's crazy to have to yeah, like I think really just three times, but. hit like your best numbers at least three times. <laughs> yeah, well actually, like part of the reason I'm confused is because this year there's something called a special in the in the Paris Olympics called the rep, I don't know how to say it, it's French. Mm. But anyways, there's, if you get knocked out in a round, mm -hmm. you can run the next day and get a second chance of getting into the next round. That's crazy. It's really weird, yeah. Only for the 800? As far as I know, only for the 800, okay. but I wouldn't be surprised if it's also in the 15 or some other okay. event. But I know for sure it's in the 800 because it's something that, I mean, it's kind of scary. If, if someone gets that knocked out and then they come back, like they could have a good day the next time and maybe they learned a lesson, you know? Holy cow. Yeah, that's intense. So when will she, is she for sure going to the Olympics though? Uh, I, I think I think as far as, uh, I think there's no way that there's enough other people to knock her out of qualifying okay. for her country. She runs for Uganda. Mm. And so, so as long as I, I think she's already hit the standard too. So I think, Great. I think there's nothing that can stop her from going. Yeah. That I can think of. So that's awesome. So how many athletes will you have in the Olympics this year? Just those two. That's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm, I want more athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but part of the crazy lifestyle we have makes mm -hmm. it really hard to find people who can fit in the same uh, travel and pay for everything. And like, yeah. there's there's a lot of factors. Um, but if anyone's listening to this and wants a coach, <laughs> hit me up. But. There's travel involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need a sponsor, that's for sure, yeah. That's way cool. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram, you started another page. Um, what is it called? Nomad. Nomad, okay. Yeah. I wanted to hear about that. It sounds like it kind of goes along with your coaching style and like your philosophy behind coaching. I think this is probably a good time to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's Nomad International Elite. And um, that's a team that I am I want to build. Mm -hmm. I want to have a much bigger team. Um, and I'm trying to build towards that. Mm -hmm. um, and picking up Halima and Sifan in opposite events was part of, uh, you know, just making sure I can coach any event that is in the range and I want to stay in track and field. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important to me. Um, so it's a project that Sifan and I made to start supporting other athletes in their training. Uh, the goal is to eventually have a lot of different resources. So one of the things, for example, is I've been working on uh, a supplement because when we are traveling in in uh, like Africa, yeah. there's a lot of times we have no access to any type of berry um, and even getting greens. It's mm -hmm. sometimes we can't get um, just these basic nutrients um, yeah. very easily. Um, cause we like the places we train sometimes are pretty remote. And so one of the things I was making is just a, a drink, uh, mix that you can put in to at least, uh, you know, give you some of those, those nutrients and antioxidants that we'd be missing. Um, so just like little things like that to try to make, and, and, and I also want it to benefit health in general. So mm -hmm. anyone that I think it's a, a widespread problem that people don't get enough greens and don't get enough antioxidants and yeah um there's that's why there's so many different antioxidant supplements um but it's something really important and um and eventually i want this team to be supporting athletes and actually sponsoring them and so anyways it's, it's a long process to get yeah. where i'm trying to get to um but it's yeah it's but i i just love i, I love what we're creating right now and uh it's yeah just just keep watching. It I sounds guess. like a fun project. Yeah. 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 What What was the idea behind the name Nomad International Elite? So, um, so Sifan and I were actually in Namibia mm -hmm. when we kind of like agreed on like, oh, this is like we we've been wanting to create something for a couple of years now, mm -hmm. and um, but I'm someone that's like way too patient with a lot of things. So I, I'm willing to, I don't like doing things until it feels right. And okay. so uh, I guess when the word nomad came up and I brought it up to Sifan, it matched everything that we kind of felt like defines like our lifestyle and our training. Um, we, we're wandering all, all over the world. We're wandering through random forests and all that stuff. We're just, um, it was just kind of, it kind of matched what we were really thinking. Mm. And I want to build something that can benefit everyone internationally. So wherever you're from, um, we can build something to lift up athletes from different countries and um, try to uh, track and field and, and even road running needs more sponsorships and athletes and needs yeah. more things to support the sport. That's very cool. Um. So as part of this, like, 
running group is that what you would call it i guess yeah sponsorship it's uh yeah it's it's uh complicated i mean it's like it's a little bit of everything yeah so i don't even know what to call it myself it's a it's a team but i feel like until i have a lot more athletes it's like it's a little bit more than that right now yeah and eventually uh, i'd love it to be a you know a bigger team too um i think that's one of the healthiest things happening in the sport right now is these teams popping up and um different sponsors stepping up so that's been really cool but but yeah right now it's uh it's a work in progress and um yeah it's a athlete support um resource and so yeah. i'm excited to watch it grow and see where you guys end up taking it that's very cool yeah thanks, thanks. yeah um i want to talk a little bit more about your coaching style too you mentioned before what did you call it? an explorer run yeah yeah yeah, what, yeah explain that to everyone who's listening what what does that look like uh, so so this is some i guess it's something that i accidentally imp implemented into our training is so i actually stopped running for a year or two a couple of years i don't even know after the um, hamstring thing yeah exactly and um and and so i it was really hard for me to get back into running but what i noticed is that i would every once in a while i would just do this really, really long run when I was curious about finding something. Uh -huh. um, I started working with uh, the Nike Oregon Project and one athlete in particular, Shannon Robery, mm. who is a, a name cousin. Um, we're related like really distantly. Um, cool. And in, in some of the most recent uh, races, people keep saying she's my wife or, or you know. Anyways, <laughs> we're not related. Sorry, Pablo, her husband. Um, anyways, so she was, when she was coming to Utah, she would ask me, hey, where are some flat places you can run and get in a lot of miles in Utah? And I was like, uh... <laughs> flat? <laughs> good. Yeah, so so then like she accidentally created a hobby for me. <laughs> like I started searching on maps and like I just started going places and, mm -hmm. and checking if like a trail was actually a trail or if it was mm -hmm. someone's private property. Um, and so anyways, that I, I noticed I would be able to run like forever. And I just always wonder like, what's around this corner? Like mm. where, what's like, and just looking at these new places was just it brought so much life back to just my, in, yeah, just wanting to run in general. So anyways, long story short, I started getting Sifon to do that because I knew how powerful it was for me. Then even after she'd do it like a speed workout, and most times the next day people just do some boring run and you know somewhere close to their home yeah but <laughs> i would kind of lie to her and i'd say oh yeah yeah, i know this flat spot it's really nice it's just it's dirt like and then we'd be running on like the bonneville shoreline trail <laughs> yeah <laughs> super flat super nice <laughs> and uh but in, like it actually worked out really well so i think uh she ran yeah she ran really well with doing that kind of stuff but that's so cool but then she learned to love it too and there'd be so many times where like, we were even running on uh, the shore of Utah Lake. Oh, cool. And there's not Some a place to run there, by the way. Rocks. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was like a time when the lake was pretty low. And so we ended up like bushwhacking like along the lake because <laughs> it was also really beautiful. She loves nature. She mm -hmm. loves mountains. And so um, we ended up like eventually ending up in, in a swamp and getting <laughs> in like deeper deep. than we want. Yeah. No, but actually... And that's happened not only in Utah, but in multiple countries. That's cool, though. We're, yeah. Like, we're going to get in trouble at some point because we explore. We just, like, we see an alley and mm. there's, like, trees growing in it. And then we're like, we'll go see. Let's see where this goes. 
So do you guys run together a lot on her, like maybe recovery runs, easy days? Yeah. Um, so that, uh, yeah, I wasn't too much. I was actually, when I first met her, I was pacing her workouts. Um, oh, cool. I was still in good shape. And um, that's kind of how I got into the pro running community to begin mm. with. But um, during COVID, COVID kind of forced me to get back into running. Mm. And it was kind of the right time. I had enough years off. And um, next thing... I knew I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of runs with her because there was, you know, it, it's hard to explain, like for pro athletes, especially like her caliber, people are expecting her to, I had a lot of pressure on me cause I was just starting, um, to coach her. Um, cause I, I she had to be successful. She was already like a pretty big athlete. And so then I kind of took it upon myself to start pacing her workouts because I couldn't hire pacers because of the mm -hmm. whole COVID thing. And imagine, imagine you're a high level coach and you have like one of the top athletes and then they get COVID and like ruin their running career or something. Ugh, like, so, yeah. so that was always yeah. going through my head. And so like that pressure and also another thing inside of me is that I, I always feel like I wouldn't ask my athlete to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do with them or mm. being willing to do myself. And so a lot of the time I would end up, whatever she needed to do, I would try to do it with her. That's so cool. <laughs> so, yeah. And are you still like that? Do you pace her often? Yeah, and I'm just waiting for the day when I can't do that anymore. Um, but I've actually, I feel like I've probably gotten in better shape than I ever was before on the endurance side. Mm. Um, she, that's where one of her talents are, obviously. Uh, but, but, um, she really, yeah, just trying to go with her has pushed me into pretty good shape. And so I still do speed workouts with, with her, not all the time. And then when it comes to, for example, she's getting ready for a marathon, there's no way I can do her marathon run with her, but I can do a, like a good portion of it. I could probably do, I, I don't want to say how much, but, um, but I could do a good portion of it with her. But when it comes to those those days, I'll get on a bike and I will pace her like ah. with something predictable. I have to give her water or, or some of their uh, electrolytes and all that stuff. And so um, it's a little bit of a, a mix and it's always a game of, um, okay, I didn't do this workout with her. Do I have time to run today at all? Mm. And yeah, the battle that everyone faces. So That's really cool. Do you have plans to do any races yourself or are you content to do speed workouts with her and then kind of just hang out? Well, it's actually it's actually almost been nine years since I ran a, a race. Really? But this next week, I might actually jump into an indoor track race. Ooh, which one are you thinking of? Uh, just the one close by, the, the BYU indoor race, so... so which event would you run? The Probably the mile. The mile. Um, I'm still debating because... So I also help at Utah Valley University. I'm mm -hmm. uh, help, helping coach there in the brief time that I'm here um, in Utah. Um, I, I, well, I'm, I'm here a lot more lately. We've been yeah. trying to get here. But um, so I help I help those athletes. And because I'm staying in shape and also my goal is I have to be in shape to help Sifan. And so I can also pace them. I might be able to pace them to a record or something, you know, and awesome. for the university. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I don't know. I haven't decided for sure. I'm going to do something mm -hmm. for sure. But if I run a race, it'll be the mile, I think. So yeah. that's, that's exciting. Yeah, scary. At the same time, I'm, I'm so scared. Yeah. Yeah, racing is scary. And when you have like nine years of like a hiatus under your belt, I bet it adds some pressure to it too. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
one of the things that also got me back into running at all, like mm -hmm. especially during COVID, is I remember Bernard Lagat was mm -hmm. so inspiring to me. And just, just watching some of the best American runners um, who are like where people thought would be past their prime and they're still making teams and stuff. And mm -hmm. so watching that, like I think most of the doubt people get as they get older is like, oh, I can't do what I did when I was younger. Mm. But I think that's partly just being scared to try new things and people lose their sense of exploration and, you know, their sense of just trying to make, uh, have fun with things. Mm. And so uh, anyways, watching other people break those barriers, um, at least the barriers in my head were, uh, that, that, yeah, it's just so, yeah, so helpful to me. So it was part of your little running hiatus, I guess, where you stopped for a couple of years because you didn't feel like you could perform at the level that you wanted to perform at? Or was it giving yourself a mental break? What well, was it for you? I I mean, I kind of just, I didn't really have, um, I probably could have asked people to help me coaching. Mm -hmm. I think I probably qualified for the US championships. I probably could have gone and ran there, mm -hmm. but I literally knew nothing about how all that was structured uh, because I had, I didn't know anyone who was in it. I didn't have any experience with it. And so uh, it's it's actually crazy what I've done with Sifon, considering that I had zero to do with the pro community or even with running higher than the college level like previously. So it's, yeah, everything was new to me. And then, um, yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't even planning on coaching, honestly. I was planning on going and I was interviewing for jobs already um, when I finished college and uh, yeah. So what made you coach instead of take a job? Yeah, so, well, so I, I just said, okay, I'll just race one year and just see what I can do. And that's when I was running 148 in the mm -hmm. 800. And I was, I was just, you know, testing workouts. I had, had already started coaching in college mm -hmm. and I was an assistant, um, like a volunteer assistant. And so I was, uh, I was get, actually getting paid as a student athlete because I got one of those on-campus jobs, and it happened to be an assistant to the head coach. Cool. So it was like the perfect setup for any runner. Yeah. You know? um, but then as soon as I graduated, it was like it, it was that like really for fun that I was running, and but anyways, it ended up working out really well. I was I was thinking, okay, what would happen if I did this workout? And I was testing it myself, just like I you know, like I said, I don't want to give my athlete something I wouldn't do myself. Yeah. And then come to find out these different workouts I was testing and workouts I had seen uh, other pro runners do, like Matt Senchowitz in particular, I was I was thinking, okay, what if I can just do a part of his workouts or like, you know, just kind of what, what how much of his workout can I do? And um, that just kind of set me on a path where I was uh, doing pretty well. And then I was one of the few people who run after college. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems at the time was college athletes aren't allowed to get paid for running. And so when the pro athletes were coming to Utah, there was a lot of, there's already a lot of pro athletes coming to Utah for their summer camp right before big races like the world championships and Olympics. And so I just happened to be like one of the only people who were out of college and able to get paid for pacing Mm -hmm. and was in shape for it. And I was going to all these different races for fun. And so it was actually just some, you know, other coaches in the state at, at different universities knew my name and they told the, they told you know, the Nike coaches about it. And 
next thing I knew, I was pacing Mo Farah in a workout. That's so crazy. That's insane. That's an, you're in story. Your story too is really inspiring to me just because everything I've seen of you is very like this just came type of thing. And it's, <laughs> it's so inspiring because I can tell you work hard. I can tell you care about your athletes and it's obviously paid off for you. It's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I just feel lucky, honestly. I like, uh, yeah, no, I, I put a lot into it when I was like volunteering as a coach. And it turns out that like when you really follow something that makes you excited, um, then that's the only reason I was coaching at the time. It like that is way easier to build a job out of than trying to do something you don't want to do. And mm -hmm. so I, I just feel lucky because not everyone gets the chance to chase after something like uh, it's it's so hard to chase after something and it succeed i had friends trying to talk me out of coaching anymore um and saying hey uh they're, they're trying to watch out for me and they're saying you, you you probably should stop like this is taking too much of your time i bet you'd be really good at this like mm. that was stuff was happening right before i got my break that's so yeah one thing my husband told me when i first met him was if you're passionate about something that's what you should go after. Like no matter if it's like inconvenient now, that's what you should go after because the passion is what's gonna make you succeed. It's obviously there for you. It sounds like it's always been there. So that's really cool. Yeah, but and, and for a lot of reasons, like is what you're mm -hmm. saying is true. Like it, it's, not only does it give you energy, but it's also, it, life is really short. You never know what's gonna come next and you, you, if you don't appreciate the moment you're in and all that stuff, and it's just, yeah, life changes so fast. You just got to go with what you can and not worry about what's going to happen. Yeah. I feel like it helps with like failures too, because everyone has failures and things they're trying to succeed at. Like you had to work hard before you got your break at Nike. But when you're passionate about something, trying again and trying again and trying again and again is a little bit more tolerable maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah well no actually so I, I mentioned that I, I suffered a lot of injuries in running mm. but because of that I've been through a lot of like the cross training and I like partially tore my Achilles and mm. like I've gone through a lot of stuff at, you know wearing a boot all the time um and just you know that gave me so much empathy for what athletes go through and also respect for the athletes that get through those mm. those hard times that, um, it, yeah, that's that's something that I also share with Sifon. Um, she also she says that she learns way more out of failures than she does out of ever winning. When she says she's like, when I win, I feel like I've I've learned nothing. Mm. And so yeah, it, it's yeah. That's really interesting. I actually really like that. That's very cool. Um, another thing I feel like you've been able to do is pull your passions into coaching so like travel you said you really like to travel um what are things that you look for in the places that you travel with your athletes like is it training at altitude is it temperature community what are the things that you're looking at when you decide to travel um I, i'd say there's a lot of different things you can look for in training and there's different reasons why you'd want to do certain things but um I mean, part of the exploring places is that you want to figure out what's the best. Like, I really had a question in my mind 
what is the best place to train in the world? Mm -hmm. What are the best places to train at altitude? Is there a better place than this? Um, uh, yeah, when I was, even when I was like in elementary school, my first like dream was like, oh, I wanna be an ambassador. And my, the whole reason for that was um, I had a dream of living in another country mm -hmm. and maybe like being forced to learn another language. Um, and that, that was like, you know, a, a big goal for me is that someday I would go to a foreign country and be able to speak another language. Mm -hmm. So um, I think like part of the exploration thing was just, you know, once you travel, it kind of gets addicting. And we would look for, I guess one of the most important things in training is uh, right, right now is actually altitude. Um, but I know that every athlete or coach usually gets too focused on one thing. Mm. and then they overdo it and then they forget a million other easier things or just different things that they could be doing. So one of the reasons we love training in Utah is because it's almost a perfect combination of heat and altitude, mm. especially at the critical time of the year. So right before world championships, right before Olympics, we are running in the middle of the day when it's the hottest mm -hmm. and we're also getting really good altitude training. We stay up in a cabin in Park City. Um, and so the different places we've gone to have all been different mixes of those those aspects. So we went to Namibia and that was because there was some of the best triathletes um, for a couple of countries that were training there. And it's just cool. the middle of nowhere. Yeah, It's a beautiful place, by the way. I, I would recommend people go there um, to uh, Ventok, I think it's called. Mm. That's the capital. Cool. Um, but it's when you go there, you think you're in like a European country or something. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like, wait, I'm where am I? Like it's, you look on the map and then you're like, this is not what I imagined this would be. Is it like the cobblestone? What makes you think There's like European? Like if you see, if you see a really nice, like brand new built house mm -hmm. um, anywhere, just even in the USA. Yeah. Like there's there's neighborhoods there that you wouldn't even know you were like in Arizona or like oh. some other place in the US. Like there, it's just the quality and the lifestyle is almost uh, almost American, almost European. Uh, um, mm. But there's but it's that's just in certain places. Yeah. Um, we went there right during the rainy season, which is only like a couple weeks during the whole year. And then it's like no rain, just harsh desert the whole mm. rest of the year. Um, did you go purposefully during the rainy season or did it just happen to be? It kind of just happened. Okay. <laughs> so we got like, there was a run that I, I thought I was going to die getting struck by lightning. Oh my gosh. Because we, there was like, because it's like a monsoon when, when the rain comes there, it's just crazy. And, and of course, Sifan and I are just like uh -huh. running down some random, path that's going into the the desert um <laughs> and we have no idea where we are um but then you have like we, we were running through like inches of rain and <laughs> lightning so and the wild. lightning is crazy there i can't even explain like is it, it very flat or is it mountainous in that particular place in in namibia it's pretty flat like okay. they have some of the biggest like yeah they're, they're known for like their their desert i think that's where okay. like where the biggest like if you ever see movies with desert most of them are filmed in namibia mm, okay so yeah but they have a little bit of everything and they're also like medium altitude like pretty close to what it is in utah mm. um so anyways yeah that's just uh, it's really easy for me to get sidetracked on one particular location mm. but um to just briefly say like a few other places that we've gone to um 
So we, we train in Ethiopia sometimes um, because that's where Sifon was born. Mm. Um, and then we, you'd be surprised how great the training is in the, ne the Netherlands. And Why they, do you think that is? They just like, uh, I think the country was just built so recently mm. that almost the entire company, whole country is based on bike trails spanning. Oh my gosh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> like spanning hundreds of miles. Like it, it's just like, and then, and then because of that, they've also, they're all also really forward thinking and kind of uh, thinking about uh, keeping things wild. And so there's a lot of places where the forests are protected and mm. that's just like a walking path. So they've made paths through the forest. Oh, cool. And I don't like, there's a, a, a famous game, uh, The Legend of Zelda, where okay. you get lost in a forest and like every time you turn left, the forest changes. Like that was me whenever I'm in the Netherlands. <laughs> like I, I've, like... I get lost. Like I've I've accidentally done some really long runs because I had no idea where I was. Like I didn't mean to run a marathon today, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you have, do you think there is a perfect place to train? Do you have a favorite place to train for, would it be different for different athletes or do you think there is an ideal place to train? Well, we, we briefly talked about the idea of nomad, the, yeah. the thing I'm, so part of that idea was I wanted to go to these different places and be able to help athletes uh, know how to survive in these different training locations. Cool. Because I think, like I said, I think one thing that really helps training is the mental aspect of it. And nothing gets you more excited than exploring new places and just seeing new things. And so I almost wish that there was, you know, a lot of different running camps you could go to around the world where um, the things that are missing there, uh, you know what you're missing, but then the local foods and all that stuff, you know how to, how to kind of match what you're used to. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, so anywhere you go, they probably... Like one example is there's fermented foods in almost every country yeah. in the world, but you might know, not know what that fermented food is mm. and you might not know that that's, a, that's an important part of the diet. So uh, there's just little things that uh, you might not know. And so when you're going to these different countries, if you knew the best things as an athlete that could help uh, in your training and recovery, then uh, that, that's a big part of surviving. And that's a big part of what is the best training place in the world. Um, and one big reason why we come back to Utah to train is because we also have access to almost more variety of foods and and uh, things that we could possibly want. Mm. And that's one of the things that we have, it's hard to find in other places. So, yeah, so. I think that's interesting though, looking at food patterns like that, I think is important for everyone because all cultures have aspects of their food culture that are really important to your health so to be able to identify those and adapt your diet and lifestyle to the place that you're going to is actually like a really cool idea that's very cool yeah and to answer your question about where the best place to train is mm -hmm. i i feel like that's a work in progress I'm, I'm still there's still a lot of places i want to go explore and uh, like this year i got invited to go explore in colombia but I don't know if I'll have a chance to go there. Um, and Colombia is kind of a scary place. Yeah, um, but these people, there's already some, there's uh, some good marathoners there who are just training up in the mountains. 
and uh, someone said that they'd pick me up from the airport and bring me to this, you know, place to train. Um, there's a place called Pipa. Um, I really it's just in the mountains, like the middle <laughs> middle of nowhere. I'm guessing. Holy I've only cow. seen pictures of it, but it looked really beautiful, and mm. it's the same temperature year round. So wow. it's always like 65 degrees, I think. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, it it looks it looks really interesting. And um, would you take athletes with you, or would you go yourself to see what it was first? I think ideally, I well, so like last year was an example. Before going to Ethiopia to go train with Sifan for the London Marathon, I went to Peru first, and okay. that my brother-in-law is Peruvian, and. Um, so I've he's kind of gotten me interested and in, he's always showing me these Instagram posts of like beautiful things in Peru. Mm -hmm. So he kind of got in my head and then, but I love to explore anyways. So I went there and I met some of, actually I looked on Strava and and the, <laughs> and IAAF. Yeah, I, I like searched all these athletes up and then I, I messaged them on Instagram. And oh my God, a detective. <laughs> well, no, almost every single one of them responded to me and like, Sometimes I was like just using Google Translate to translate into Spanish and stuff. Uh -huh. But um, I actually met them in Peru and they were uh, willing to show me around and help me out and show me the where they train. And um, so, yeah, and I'm still exploring and I feel like I can't possibly say I know the best training place. Mm. I can tell you where some of my favorite places are, but um, yeah, anyways, it's a work in progress. Work to be, to be continued, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you think with traveling and training in different areas, you've found some principles that you've applied to your coaching? Like maybe you could talk about one or two of those that you've learned. Like things that I've learned from the area? Or yeah, from the area or the runners there or just running there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I I'm trying to think if there's anything that pops out specifically because, uh, I mean, one of the biggest things is running. The running community is one of the best things that you can really look for. So, you mm -hmm. like, finding people that are from that place, um, it really has a big impact of what you're able to do and where you're able to go. So I, I've become I, – I would say, one, you need to explore as much as possible. Mm. Um, and I think that applies to absolutely anywhere in the world. Uh, that's something that will keep you excited about finding new things and, uh, and, and just give you a goal of what to do. A lot of people are having a, problems with the lack of, you know, what to do next or what their goal is. And so using that as a goal is really easy and it's fun too. And, um, I think... Making sure you do a variety of things was, is another principle I'd say applies. Uh, you see a lot of different training styles and you see a lot of different things work for different reasons. And so I'd say the biggest overall thing on that is make sure you don't focus on one thing too much and make sure you kind of take the advice of other people and do a little bit of everything and not too much of one thing. Mm. Do you feel like you have a good moderate approach to a little bit of everything, not too much of one thing, or is there one thing that you find yourself leaning toward right now? That's, it's like a constant battle. Mm. And um, yeah, so I think that's always something that you have to kind of track what you're doing in order to notice the mistakes you make. 
And I think if we're making one mistake, it might be going to altitude too much. And I'm, that's, I'm still on the fence of whether that's like the best thing to do is to be at altitude as much as possible, or if it's not necessary to be up at altitude too much. Um, one of the reasons we went to Namibia was for the heat training. And so- How hot does it get there? Um, when you were there, I guess. Well, in, you between, were there in, in between the rain, it was still, <laughs> yeah. it, I would say, I would compare it to, I, I think it gets really, really hot, but I would say it's, you know, what it's like in, in Utah in the summer. Okay, uh, so like 100, maybe 110. Yeah. I have a brief experience there, so I can't, I don't know that I know exactly the full experience there. Okay. But, um, but that's also a, a reason why I went to the Canary Islands one mm. year uh, to uh, Tenerife. And uh, there it's really hot too, because I, I've seen really good benefits for heat training and athletes who are based there, even, even if just for a short while. Um, so I, I don't know, at, at times I kind of I kind of like to cycle through pushing too much in one direction and then just keep reminding myself, oh, okay, I gotta go back to do more of this. We have to do more strength work. We have to do more heat training. We have to do more altitude. Um, it's just a little bit of uh, a constant reminder. So, constant cycle to make sure you're getting a little bit of everything. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's that creates uh, better long-term health mm. in running, and that totally. applies to diet too. Mm. It's just the variety. So, what is your nutrition philosophy? Do you coach your uh, athletes on nutrition, or do you basically tell them this is what I eat? This is what I found. Yeah, works. I'd actually say that's one of my strengths. Uh, I, cool. I grew up uh, in a family where they were, you know, my mom was always educating me on exactly what this is. This is why we need to eat this. And mm. she was always working in the supplement industry. Cool. And so for her job was researching all the science be between supplements and actually working with doctors. So doctors would send their patients to uh, her in her, she was working at different uh, and like even Good Earth and other like food places and people would come come to her because the doctor would say, okay, if we want to match up traditional science with, um, you know, supplements and herbs and things like that. And um, so from her, I learned a lot, so much stuff and I didn't appreciate it back when I was younger, mm -hmm. but now I'm like so glad that I was, uh, you know, kind of pushed towards learning about that. And, and it's a constant learning thing. Oh, yeah. I, every year it's like new information comes out. And um, I think that's, that's a really big thing is just being willing to learn, spend time on learning. Um, I, I try to, I, I try to take some of it and put it into my athlete's hands. Like I'll send them podcasts and it's up to them whether they actually take the time to listen to it. Mm. Um, but surprisingly, if you give someone information, most of the time they'll follow through and do it. Um, and so yeah, anyway, so I guess my philosophy overall is really towards just, you know, whole foods and um, variety. And like there's a million things I can mention, like fermented foods, fiber, and um, a lot of really simple things that you need to do a little bit of everything. So. Yeah, it's like, it seems like the more that I learn about nutrition, it's the basics. And it's just like really hitting the basics hard, hitting whole foods hard. And it is complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated in execution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be perfect all the time either. Yeah. yeah. So do you meal plan for your athletes or do you 
I guess you're not like a dietitian, but do you send them the podcast and then they decide what to eat? So, I- well, because of our travel, like when we're in St. Moritz, Switzerland, um, that's one place that we've spent a lot of time in, or even driving from Park City down to Utah County. Um, we do that a lot of time, times for workouts. We have like an hour drive. Mm-hmm. And so we'll listen to the podcast together. Oh, cool. And so then like, um, sometimes I pause it and I say, hey, do you understand what they're talking about here? Mm. Or we th- we say, oh, oh, hey, did you hear that? Or even you know, Stefan will teach me things too that I didn't really like realize they just said. Um, she'll point something out or ask me about it. And then when I think about it more, I'm like, oh yeah, this works together with this and this and this. Mm. And um, just, yeah. So I think a lot of stuff happens with uh, our travels because of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to make use of your time. And it sounds like you and Safan are close because you spend so much time training together, just brainstorming together. You're starting this new project. It sounds like it's a like an awesome athlete coach duo. Yeah, well, this winter break is kind of like a break from like, we have to work together so much. This uh-huh. break from like even <laughs> seeing or talking to each other that much, but... Um, but I'm actually really excited to get back to training with her. Um, mm-hmm. Like when we're talking about nutrition in the past, like so when I first met her, I was we were eating black rice instead of you know brown rice or white rice, like mm-hmm. simple stuff like that. that yeah. And I don't know how profound of an effect that has, but when I would teach her to do something, I'd come back a month later and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I should have been reminding you about this. And then like I would see, oh, she's actually still doing it. She's still, that's she, awesome. she would be like applying everything that I taught her. That's and that, so cool. That's one of her superpowers for sure is if you learn something, you have to apply it. Otherwise, there's, you might as well have not learned it. So. Yeah. You probably didn't learn it because you're going to forget it in like a week or whatever too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I've learned so much from you today. I wish I could talk to you for hours, but I don't want to steal your valuable time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. If you have like one actionable thing for people who are wanting to get into running or young runners who are looking to get into elite athletics. Um, what would you say? Do you have any advice for any specific population? <laughs> I mean, this is really specific or really, really uh, broad, but I think no matter what it is, find what you like to do and do it consistently, or even just find what you want to be good at, even if you don't necessarily enjoy it. Cause you know, work is work, but mm. Uh, and do it consistently. And there is more power in doing something consistently than almost anything else you can do. You don't have to do it perfect. If you just do something consistently, you're going to get better at some part of it. So I would just say that's the biggest thing. Do something consistently and also be crazy and uh, have fun. (laughs) I I don't know. The variety is a big part of it too. Be crazy. Be crazy and have fun. Yeah. Be crazy. Be playful. Be, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. Yep, no problem.